0: Well, glad to be with you all this morning. Uh, We are in the book of Isaiah together, so if you'd like, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 together today. Isaiah 44 verses 1 through 5. And we'll just begin our time together by reading that text. So let's look at it. It says, But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring. And my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. And another will call on the name of Jacob. Another will write on his hand, the Lord's. And name himself by the name of Israel. A fantastic text. Now, there may be some questions you have about this text because it may seem a bit obscure, uh, and I understand that. So what I'd like to do, uh, I'm, I'm going to lay out my plan for this morning, okay? I generally don't do that. I'm going to do that this morning. Um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just give a basic understanding of, of these few verses. And then what I'd, what I'd really like to do with the bulk of our time together is to show you how this text kind of, which is situated almost in the middle of our Bible, right, uh, actually falls about in the middle of God's narrative through history. And so, what's being said here is is not, uh, not very new, uh, but it, it was actually something that's been promised. It's something that's continuing to be promised. It's something that was fulfilled and will continue to be fulfilled. So, it, what we have here is something that is falling in the middle of the storyline of all of history. And, and who is the one who is sovereign over history? God himself, right? He, he had just told us that. Remember, there was this big courtroom setting and, and all the nations were gathered and they brought their gods. Their most powerful gods, by the way, were brought. And they said, who, who is the sovereign God of history Who is it who can declare the end of something from its beginning? And it came to be shown that there is only one who can do that. There is only one who can declare the end of a thing from the beginning, and it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is the God of Scripture. And so we know that he is the author of all of history, and he's continuing to show that here in this text. So let's just begin by looking at it and getting a basic understanding of what's being said. Uh, but now hear, O Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. Let's just go through verse 2 here. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. You probably, you may, you probably, though, don't know who Jeshurun is. This is like a new name. I don't know uh, who this guy is. He's a servant of God, but I'm not sure. He was talking to Jacob, and then he was talking to Israel, and now he's talking to Jeshurun. So who is it who is God's chosen Servant. And, of course, the answer is all of the above, but it's all referencing the same thing. These are all names for the same thing. So the word Jeshurun, which is the most uncommon here, it's just a name of endearment. Do you have any of your kids, or have you been called by kind of a name of endearment? And you say, well, that's what people call me. That's not my name, but maybe that's what my people, or my people. That's what my parents uh, called me when I was growing up you know i didn't have really anything like that but maybe you did right um so uh, okay so when lena was little you guys all well well a lot of you were around when lena was little what do we call lena you remember huh <laughs> lena beena lena beena so we called lena lena beena uh it, jane was always baby jane right and we didn't call her anything but um, baby jane cuz she was a baby it took a little while to get rid of that one but you you get the idea that it's it's just this It's just this name for your precious child. That's who Jeshurun is. And who is God's precious child? Jacob. Now, who is Jacob? Because we were just talking about Israel. Well, Jacob is Israel. But Jacob is Israel, but Israel is not just Jacob. Yeah, we all understand that. Because there was a promise given to a man, and to another man, and to another man, and to another man, and it continued down a line, and uh, so you reference back to who the promise was given, and the descendants that are uh, reaping the benefits of the promise, so uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about Jacob, who he is, Israel, who that is, and uh, the servant, so we're going to talk about that a little bit, but just understand that God is saying, listen, listen, my beloved, dear child, who I love. Don't fear. I love you. Let me tell you something. Verse three, I will pour water on thirsty land. This seems like a good thing, right? Something that's dried up and thirsty. God's going to take care of it. Streams on dry ground. I'm going to pour my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So who is dried up and thirsty? the descendants. So God is going to pour his spirit on his descendants so as to care for them. Just as dry ground is cracked and will produce nothing, right? God is going to use his spirit to produce something in his descendants. So this is a great promise and a great blessing that God would give, right? Um, Verse 4, they shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. So if God did not water What could spring up? Nothing, right? You know that it is God who literally sends the rain, right? You plant a garden. I know a lot of you do. How does it grow? Do you make it grow? Do you send the water? Well, yeah, from my garden hose. You realize, though, who gave that water, and that is God himself. If he stops giving water, the water dries up. Spiritually speaking, if God stops giving a spirit, the people dry up, right? And we don't want to spiritually dry people. We want one that has water because without the water of the spirit, what can grow? Nothing. So this is all very good news. This is all something God is promising and he's gonna do. Very exciting. Then we kind of get a, a little bit clearer picture in verse five. And this is how that's gonna work. This one will say, I am the Lord's. That's great. What did, what's, what's up there? It's not 45, it's 44. Come on. Whoever made this slide? I made it, by the way. So, uh, excuse me. I'm sorry for the confusion. It's chapter 44. <clears throat> chapter 44. Uh, yeah, what would that have been saying? It, Thus it, yeah, we'll get to that. We're, Cyrus. We're going to get to Cyrus. No, we're not looking at that today. All right, chapter 44, 1 through 5. So this, this last part, this is how it will happen. This one will say, I am the Lord's, and another will call on the name of Jacob, and, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and, and name himself by the name of Israel. Now, this is all, again, very exciting stuff because what we have happening is God pouring out his spirit and what is being produced here. People who are spiritually mature and seeking out the Lord. That's what God's Spirit produces. It's, so it's all pretty simple, isn't it? Fear not, my beloved child. I love you. And just like I send rain to the famished land to produce something that would grow, so I'm going to do to your descendants. Excellent news, and that's all that's being said. So, what do we have to say about that? How does that come into fulfillment? Uh, who is that exactly speaking to? What does the rest of the Bible have to say about that? How does that fall into the grand scheme of things? And as I always say, what does any of that matter for me today? Because this could be my last day on the planet, right? Uh, I'm, I'm going to read just quickly as we begin into this uh, something that Rob read this morning and... and uh, Rob led our band devotional this morning, and, and he read this, and I thought, that's, well, that's excellent to read as we get started. This is Romans 15, uh, verse 4. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have Hope. Hope. And then he says, now, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another and in accord with Christ Jesus, and that together with one voice you glorify the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, what should this produce in you this morning? It should produce encouragement and hope, but in order to find hope, what must you first find? Despair. Because if you are not in despair, there is no reason for hope. Would you agree? I don't need hope. I'm not in a bad situation. I need no hope. I'm good to go. Thank you. But now if we find ourselves potentially in despair, what must we have? Hope, and what does hope do? Encourages our hearts, right? So what I I hopefully would, would like to lay out for you this morning is God's message of hope to us this morning based on this passage and how we see it working out. Uh, Throughout God's timeline of history. Now, that sounds like a very long endeavor. Don't worry. I've got a little bit of a plan here, okay? So, all I'm going to do is at first show you what God promised in Genesis. I'm going to show you what's happening in the book of Isaiah. And then we're going to look at what some of the New Testament is saying about this situation, okay? So, first, in Genesis 12, if you want to just turn there with me just for a moment, we're going to look at just a handful of passages. Genesis 12, first of all, verses 1 through 3. Now, what I realize about uh, the majority, because unfortunately, as you're turning there, this is just time filler, okay? But as you're turning to that text, because I want you to, um, I understand that as I was, so many of us are, that we were not raised in an environment where we were exposed to much biblical history so as to take the New Testament and appropriately tie it into the Old Testament. And it's like New Testament's its own thing, Old Testament's its own thing. Old Testament has lots of stories with good morals in it. And then the New Testament's all about Jesus. Okay, but if we can find, I don't know if you noticed or not. Okay, so in in the little logo here that I've created for Isaiah, you notice that there is something flowing through it and that is Christ flowing throughout the entirety of the message of Isaiah. But not only that, it is Christ flowing throughout the entire, in entirety of the Bible itself. So if we were to look at Isaiah without seeing Christ in it, all around it, intricately connected behind it and in front of it everywhere, then we're not seeing it properly because, as I said, the book of Isaiah is, only, is, is quoted uh, the, the second most quoted book in the New Testament outside of Psalms. Psalms is the first most quoted in the New Testament. But Isaiah is the second most quoted book in the New Testament. So what did they see when they read Isaiah? Christ. What should we see when we read Isaiah? We should see Christ. Are you there? Genesis 12? Genesis 12, verses one through three, look at what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, now his, this is Abraham, he will, he, his name was Abram at first, his name will be changed to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so you might wonder, What has this guy Abram done to deserve all this great blessing? Where did this guy Abram come from? Clearly there's a backstory." And is there a backstory? And the only backstory to Abram is that God wanted to bless all the families of the earth through Abram. That's the backstory. That's it. That's all you get. Go back and look through the rest. It's only Genesis chapter 12. How much could have happened yet? Right? So uh, we have this guy Abram, and God says, Abram, listen, I want you to go. But what does Abram do? He goes. So immediately we see Abram as the man of faith. That's very important this morning. Abram is the man of faith. Now, was he perfectly faithful? No, there's only one who is perfectly faithful, right? Otherwise, Abram would be our savior, but he's not. We have Jesus Christ who is our savior. There is only one. So here's what's happening. Uh, Genesis 12, one through three, God makes a promise to Abram. Now, just fast forward a little bit to chapter 12. Because we see another promise come along. Not chapter 12, verse 7. You're already in chapter 12. You don't need to fast forward much. Come on, Sherry, get with it. (laughs) Chapter 12, look at verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. That's great. So God just made another promise. That's good. Now, we are going to fast forward to chapter 17, okay? This is the last one we're going to look at, the last promise we're going to look at. Chapter 17, look at verses 4 through 6. God said to Abram, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Do you notice that it's already done in God's mind? I have done it. I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come fruit. How does something become fruitful? you got to have water, right? The promise of God making the people fruitful is not something new, right? So what we see happening is in the G- book of Genesis, we see a generalized promise. And as scripture progresses, something we call in theology progressive revelation is that you have kind of generalized, unclear uh, revelation that becomes more clear as it progresses throughout the timeline of the Bible and history itself, right? So that's how when we look in the New Testament and they explain to us Old Testament prophecies, we say, oh, but this is not something new. It's just becoming more clear, right? You ever used a a camera that you have to focus the lens? For all you iPhone users, uh, you don't have to do that really. Oh, but you do have to touch the screen, okay, right? So if you wanna focus on something, you touch the screen. Did you know that it'll focus on what you touch? Okay, and if you don't, it might stay blurry. Well, we think of this in the same way as uh, things that we read early on become more in focus. It's not something new altogether. It's not a new image. It's not something new that we're taking a picture of. It's, It's the same thing, but it's becoming more clear throughout scripture. Does that make sense? And so when we get to Isaiah, Something that has already been promised is becoming more clear to us. Do you understand? So we have something promised, but in Isaiah we have a promise that now we're getting more detail to it, aren't we? We're getting more detail to a great promise. What is this great promise? So what what I'd like to ask next then is: In God's grand scheme of things, and as He has promised to do certain things, what is happening in Isaiah's day? Is is God about to do all He said? Is God about to bring all these promises that have been promised for past generations? Hey, he just called us Jacob. Who's Jacob, by the way? I suppose we need to explain that. So there was Abraham, and then there was Isaac, and then there was Jacob. Right? The dad, the son, the grandson. Okay? We have Abraham, and there was Isaac, and there was the whole take a, uh, Isaac and sacrifice him thing, and God made a substitute. The gospel's there, but that's not our focus for this morning. So that happened right? Then, so, so Abraham knew there was a promise from God, but he didn't have any children. And so he was like, where are you going to do this promise? Or you told me I was going to have a bunch of children, but I don't even have any. Uh, that's a whole story in itself. But God fulfilled it. He gave him a son, Isaac. And then Isaac had a child, and his name was Jacob. And Jacob uh, also had a name change. Just like Abram just had a name change from God, uh, Jacob had a name change from God, and his name is? Israel so it is the name of a man yes which can be confusing when you're reading scripture right but Israel is also the name of an entire nation composed of 12 tribes well actually 13 because two of them are half tribes from Joseph Ephraim and Manasseh right all very right okay let's get all this together what exactly is happening here so uh, Jacob who is named Israel has 12 sons and one of the sons, Joseph, who you know, yes, that's the Joseph of Egypt. Um, Joseph uh, has two sons, and they kind of take his spot, both having half of a tribe. Okay, so there's still 12. Um, But anyway, all that being said, when you reference Israel, we're referencing the 12 tribes who are the sons of Israel, who is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham, who was called Abram, who God one day said, Abram, I'm going to bless you. And through you, all the nations will be blessed. Okay, are we all there? Good, I hope so. Um, because we're taking a lot of words here and we're boiling them down. But the reason we're doing that is because I want what's being said in, in Isaiah 44, one through five to be crystal clear. That's, that's my hope, that's my goal. Because on the surface, it's, it's quite plain but what is it in the scheme of God's design and history? That's what we want to know this morning. So what is happening in Isaiah's day in this grand design of things? God promised this a long ago. There's the dad, the son, the grandson, the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes didn't do so well Um, they were divided, remember? And then there was a northern kingdom, 10 tribes, a southern kingdom, two tribes. And the northern kingdom's already been wiped out by the Assyrians. Now we have the southern kingdom who has a Babylonian threat. They're about to be led into captivity. Has God forsaken the people he said he was gonna bless? But do you see how that's on their minds? Has God forsaken the people? He promised to bless us. He he promised that we were gonna be the blessing to, to everyone. So what this did is it created pride in their heart Right? No, no, no. God's going to bless all of you through us. He already said so. Doesn't matter how we live. Doesn't matter what gods we serve. Doesn't matter what we do. God's going to bless you through me. So I'm more important than you. And they brought about a pride in the heart of the people of Israel. And that is their downfall. Right? It is also our downfall. So look at Isaiah verse, scratch that. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, very famous, right? So this is where Isaiah receives his call from the Lord and his ministry objective, which, man, I I wish that I had such a crystal clear ministry objective from the Lord. Lord, what would you have me say to the people? And he says, oh, say this to the people. And, uh, And it's just, here you go, say this to the people. In a sense, God said, say this to the people, but we've got a lot of material to work with. That's good, though. God has given us something to work with. What should I say to the people? Say what I have said to the people. That's, that's, my, that's my goal. So what has God said to the people in Isaiah's time? What is, what is Isaiah's objective? Isaiah's the, the guy, we're reading his prophecies, right? What is his goal in writing all of these prophecies? What did God intend to accomplish By speaking to the people through the prophet Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 6, verses 4 and 5. And just remember the scene. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the whole house was filled with smoke. And I said, that is Isaiah, I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, and I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips." For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Who are the people of unclean lips? The people of Israel, the supposed children of God, the supposed inheritors of all the blessings of God, who are supposed to be, above all people, the most righteous people on the planet because they have God's law, and they have God with them. They have God, and yet they are a rebellious people. So look at verse 8, and verse 8 says, And I heard a voice Uh, of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And so this is Isaiah. Isaiah said, "Uh, here I am, send me. So who is he sending Isaiah to? The rebellious people, the people of unclean lips. Um, God God is sending Isaiah, but Isaiah said, sign me up. I'll go, I'll go to the people. So he's very excited, right? Right. This is like I feel like a young pastor who's very excited to start in his first church. I will go to the people. Lord, let me minister to the people, and it's going to be a great thing. What should I tell them? Tell them about their sin. Oh, that's difficult. The people don't want to hear about their sin, Lord. Tell them about their sin. Tell them about their need of a Savior. Tell them that they are not sufficient in themselves. So look at verses 9 through 13. What is Isaiah's ministry objective? Look at it. He said, go and say to this people. Listen, so this is it. Isaiah's excited, I think, right? He's like, all right. Here's what I'm going to say to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of the people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. That's the end of the quotation. I almost wonder if Isaiah says, are you sure that's what you want me to say? Keep on hearing, people, the word of the Lord, but don't hear it. Keep on seeing, but do not actually see what's being said or what's going on. And make the heart of the people dull. Why? Lest they see, and lest they hear, and lest they understand and turn and be healed. In other words, that's not my design right now. Did you see it? It is not God's intention that these prophecies from Isaiah would have such an effect to make the people bow down before him in repentance and turn and be healed. But instead, his intention is that the word of the Lord would come and that their hearts would be dull, that their eyes would be blind, that their ears would be deaf. Do you remember when we talked about the will of God not too long ago and sometimes the will of God is not the will of God? This is one of those cases. we didn't finish did we and then uh, verse 11 says so isaiah accepts the challenge i will do this but how long o lord how how long will i give this message to the people until cities lie waste without inhabitant and the houses of the people and the land is desolate waste and the lord removes the people far away forsaken places there are many in the midst of the land and Though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. And like terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. God's going to dwindle them down to almost nothing. That is his intention. That is his intention. How long, O Lord, until the land is desolate? Now we get to Isaiah 44. Well, oh, actually 43, huh? Because 43 verse 8, or verse 28. I can't get it together with my numbers this morning, can I? Isaiah 43:28 says, "As you look at it? Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and do what to Jacob? Deliver him to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. Is this something new? This is what God intended to do. This is what God intended to do. Oh, that's almost a difficult message to hear, isn't it? Let's fast forward to the New Testament. Let's leave this dreary, grim image where it rests. And let's go to the New Testament for a few moments. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. So what I'm about to do is give you uh, some highlights of the book of Acts to show you something in particular that's happening throughout the book of Acts. Okay? Now, uh, I recognize that not all of us are familiar with all the Bible all the time right? Reference some obscure name from 2 Kings and I probably don't know it, okay? We're not all immediately familiar with all the things and events and times and timelines, right? We come and go and we, we have to study. We have to keep up with it, right? Now, what's happening in the book of Acts is very special. Well, of course, that's why it's all recorded. God wants us to know these things. But I'm gonna give you some references and it may be most prudent to simply write down the references I'm giving you because I'm gonna give you several. But it begins in chapter two with uh, the apostles gathered together and uh, they all are filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in tongues. You, we all know this story, right? I'm getting to a particular point with it though. Let's keep this in mind. They are all gathered together. And, by, by the way, How many apostles were there? It's okay to answer. Twelve. How many tribes of Israel were there? Okay. There is a connection there. Okay. There is a connection being made with what's happening. All right? Although the actual answer is 14. Because there was Judas, and then there was Matthias who took his place, Thirteen. And then there was Paul who was an apostle. So that's actually 14. But anyway, it is 12. But if you take 14, there are two. And then maybe the half tribes. I'm not sure, right? I I don't know what's going on there, but there are actually 14. But 12, yes, Jesus chose 12. Anyway, moving on. So then what we find is that there is something special happening in Acts chapter 2 in that there are many people gathered together. Many people are gathered together. Many Jews, it says, from every nation under heaven were gathered together in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And when they started speaking in tongues, they said this, the crowds said, we hear them all telling in our own tongue the mighty work of God. What does this mean? What does this mean? That we all, who all speak different languages, the many of us here we all hear these men who don't speak all these languages speaking our language and we hear them all telling about the mighty works of God. Now it's important to understand that these are men who are Jews speaking in tongues to Jewish people. Right? Okay. Um, and then... Peter gives a sermon um, and because the people ask, what does all this mean that you're speaking in tongues? And so Peter gives a sermon. And Peter's sermon says, well, what you're seeing happening here is a fulfillment of what the prophet Joel spoke in Joel chapter 2. And so he tells them all about that, that God did many wonders and signs through Jesus, and you killed him, though. And then, but God raised him up because that was his plan. And uh, God predicted all this. He predicted it through David as well. That's what he says. And so they say to all of this information, so what should we do? Remember, these are still Jews who are hanging on to the promise of Abraham. We've just fast-forwarded through time. You understand that, right? We have the Jews in, in uh, Isaiah's day, who that was a great devastation, but then just keep fast-forwarding and, and they're still hanging on to the promise. So they say, okay, well, if he is a pro- the promised one to come, Who's going to deliver us and do great things and restore and give us all the blessings that we want? You know, there's going to be a promised one. So, what, what do we need to do? And uh, and Acts two thirty seven and thirty eight tells us it, what happened here. Um, they heard this; they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to them, "Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you're going to receive the promised Holy Spirit." This was good news. This was a Jewish event. And uh, that I, I just want us to kind of contain that and leave it for a second. Jewish men speaking to a Jewish audience who then uh, received and repented and who many of them, a lot of them, some of them, I'm, I don't know, we don't have the exact numbers uh, of how many people were actually there, but a great deal of them. And uh, so they repent, they believe, and so that's, this is all very good news. Okay, um, well, things continue on and there's a man named Stephen and uh, he's brought before the Jewish High Council because he's preaching in the name of Jesus and, and uh, they didn't like that too much and uh, Stephen reads for them a passage and uh, relates it to them. This is Acts 7, verse 51. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart, you always resist the Holy Spirit just like your fathers did. Which one of the f- prophets did your fathers not persecute that killed those who announced before the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered and you receive it and you receive the law as delivered to it by angels but you didn't keep it. In other words, uh, we're, we're about to kind of spring into the future again but all, all I want to make clear is that we have all these men preaching to a Jewish audience and they're a Jewish recipients of the preaching and then so what happens now um is you have the the peter's vision right you remember that peter's vision and there was unclean things and 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 in the vision he's told to rise and eat and he said no you told us not to eat that i've never eaten anything unclean but he said well all this unclean stuff i've now made clean and so this was to help him understand that um that the gentiles were now recipients of the promise of blessing. And then you immediately start to have Gentiles being converted. So this is the story of Cornelius, r- right? And so then you have Paul, uh, who we we like Paul. We like his letters. Uh, we like everything uh, that 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 happens in his story. And so he's persecuting the church. He's a Jew of Jews, just like Jimmy talked about earlier. He's the Jew of Jews. And if anybody has any reason to boast, it's him. But then he loses everything, including. Um, everything that he held on to as a Jew so that he might claim Christ because he understands that in Christ he inherits all the blessings that are his, right? So to reject Christ was to reject the blessings that God had promised. Now is it starting to maybe come together? So what happened to all these Jews? I better make my point. You know, let me, let me, let me just say something here. I didn't, I, didn't, I, I didn't actually for this morning, I didn't make detailed notes. Normally my notes are very detailed, uh, very detailed. And I normally don't give all of my details uh, that I have in my notes. Um, but I was just so torn with this text this morning because I'll tell you what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to write for you a 20-page paper, if not more, on the ins and outs of, uh, of, of what's being said here. Because there is so much, so much richness to this text. Um, that, that, that's what I wanted to do on, on one hand. I didn't think you'd appreciate that. What I wanted to do on the other hand is I wanted to communicate from the scriptures the richness of the text through narrative. So that you might grab on to what's being said in God's grand storyline and take it home with you in your heart to be encouraged. And so I'm attempting to do that for you this morning Um, because I I would just want you to see that God made a promise through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 tribes. The 12 tribes were not recipients of much other than land, which was taken from them. And at the end of the day, if all we have is land, uh, I die and I don't have it, it. It doesn't go home with me in the end what good is that thank you i guess for why while i was alive for some land uh, that was good uh, thank you but that doesn't go with me when i die so there's more to it and so then we're, there's so when we get to the new testament the jews are still longing for this great promise when are you going to bless us lord you said you were going to bless us when are you going to bless us and then it comes clear as, as, as these sermons communicate through the book of Acts and the giving of the Holy Spirit, that the great blessings that God had promised are now coming into fulfillment, but in a different way than what they expected. So the Jews then, how do they respond? Okay, we get it, Lord. Now, we've been a rebellious people for, oh, ages, right? Ages we've been a rebellious people, stiff-necked people, right? Hard-hearted people. But listen, we're gonna change all that You sent Jesus, we like Jesus. Let's accept Jesus, let's embrace him and all the Jews everywhere throughout the whole land, all of them bow before Jesus as Lord because God has finally given them what they wanted. Is that how the story went? What did they do to Jesus? They killed him. I did not see this coming in the storyline from the Old Testament. I finally gave you what you wanted and what I've been promising for so long. Here he is. The deliverer has come, God in the flesh. Now believe in him, and all the great blessings will be yours. No, let's kill him. Now give us what we want. The story is not going like we anticipated. Just like with the Old Testament. God promised to bless the people, but here they are being destroyed by foreign armies, being led into captivity by the Babylonians. Things are not going. This doesn't look like a blessed people, does it? But God said he's gonna bless them. So how does it all work together? So verse five of Isaiah 44 probably need to bring it home verse 5 of isaiah 44 this one will say i am the lord's and another over there he will call on the name of jacob and another will write on his hand the lord's and name himself by the name of israel But I I thought you were just going to do this for all of Israel. Why does someone have to name themselves by the name of Israel if they already belong to Israel? So what is being said? Got some options here. So where I'm going to take you now is to Galatians 3, and I'd like to just make some application there. Okay. For those of you who maybe haven't been with us very long, um, my sermons generally are about 45 minutes long. If you go on YouTube and you look, 43 minutes to 48 minutes, you're right in that ballpark. It was not always so. There is a famous three-hour sermon Yeah, from back in yesteryear, right? I, but uh, we're not doing that this morning. But I will say it's, it's text like this that we could continue talking about this forever. Because this is the story of the gospel. But it is also the story of the Bible, So if we don't realize that those fit together, we're going to continue to see the Old Testament as stories, the New Testament as the gospel, and primarily the gospel is the story, and all we see is stories. But what's the whole point and how do they work together? You know that there is a huge trend right now to just disregard the entire Old Testament because people don't understand how it works together. How does it all work? You realize what was promised to Abraham is accessible to you. Do you see that? It's accessible to you, to me. How do we know that? Galatians 3 16. Galatians 3 16. By the way, is, it, is anybody here who was who present for the three-hour sermon? Do you, Emma definitely remembers. <laughs> okay. Jeannie and Jimmy. Yeah. I don't remember what text that was on exactly, but people talked about it. I, I imagine, you know, I imagine you probably would. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Galatians 3 verse 16. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Right, we're we're with you so far, Paul. Yes, we have got that. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. Wait, what? We don't say offsprings. These are my offsprings. Jane, Lena, and Cora, my offsprings. You would say offspring, but here it is in the in the Greek. It's singular and plural. So you have, to, you have to figure that out somehow, right, in the text. So he's referencing back to a text that we already read out of Genesis, and he's saying, you realize, though, that the promise wasn't made to offsprings, but it was actually made to one, who is Christ. That's what it says, right? Paul is explaining to us how the promise works. It wasn't made to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one who is your offspring, who is Christ. And this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. What came 430 years later? Moses, Ten Commandments, and that covenant... The, with, with all the sacrifices and systems and all that, and keeping the law, and say, Well, isn't that how you get right with God by keeping the law? No. Don't you realize that God made a promise to Abraham 430 years previously, and that promise is still in force? And that's the promise we're talking about. But do you realize that that promise was not made to all offsprings? It was made to one. The offspring who is Christ. So how does all that work? Fast forward, verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now, now that faith has come, we are no longer under that guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ. Verse 29, look at verse 29. And if you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you belong to Christ, the offspring to whom the promise came, then you inherit By faith, all the blessings that come with the great promise. We are recipients of the promise of blessing found in Isaiah 44. Do you see it? So what then of Israel? Let me answer that question in five minutes. Okay? That's all I'll give it. Five minutes. I want to suggest that you read Romans 9 through 15. Okay? Not many made a reference to that. I want you to make a reference because your homework for this afternoon, Monday, Tuesday, it's due by Tuesday. Okay? At midnight. You need to read Romans 9 through 15 in its entirety slowly. You know what I do sometimes, actually? I only have five minutes. I only have five minutes. Sometimes read the text in reverse. Sentence, verse at a time. Read verse 15 and then read verse 14 and then read verse 13 because it it helps because you see the conclusion of the argument before you get to the reasons before it. Anyway. Romans 11. I asked then, Has God rejected his people? That's the question, isn't it? Isn't that the question we have? God promised so long ago through Abraham that he was going to bless the people Israel. And it's obviously through a family tree because it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 sons, and then all their descendants, the Jews, national ethnic Jews. So has God rejected his people? Paul answers the question as inspired by the Holy Spirit, we don't have to wonder about the answer. We don't have to come up with our own answer. Let's let scripture give the answer. Has God rejected his people? Answer, by no means. For I myself am an Israelite. That, that's actually like case in point right there. I am an inheritor of the blessings and I'm an Israelite. So has God rejected the Jews? No, he's blessed me and I'm a Jew. That's what Paul's saying. I'm not Jewish. I myself am Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of of, uh, Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah and how he appealed to God against Israel? They've killed your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what was God's reply to him? I have kept myself 7,000 men who have not bowed to the knee of Baal. So too, excuse me, at the present time, there remains a remnant chosen by grace. Who is the remnant chosen by grace that he's referencing? That is, those out of national ethnic Israel who would be inheritors of the blessing. A remnant. So no, God has not rejected them as a people. They still inherit the promises as well. It's just not like you think. It's not just a blanket. Here you go. If you were born of Abraham, here you go. Wrong. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. So too, there is at the present time a remnant chosen by grace, but if it is grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Well, the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is, listen, here It okay, this is why I had to read this. It ties it back to Isaiah 6. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Do you see that what happened in Isaiah 6 has been continuing on until Paul's day? They can't see. They can't hear. They don't understand who gave them the spirit of stupor. It says, God gave them the spirit of stupor. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this day. David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they can't see. Let them bend their backs forever. So, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespasses, through their trespasses, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. There's so much here. Now, (laughs) Now, verse 12, now, if their trespasses means riches for the world and their failure means riches to the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And then Paul goes on to say in verse 14, so he says, and somehow I, I want to make my fellow Jews jealous and save some of them. I want to make them jealous and save some of them. He goes on to talk about two trees and branches that are grafted in. Some branches are cut off of the tree. Some branches are grafted into the tree. The tree is God's chosen people. The tree are God's beloved. The tree are the chosen ones of God. That's the tree. Now, some of the natural branches were cut off because of unbelief. But wild branches, us, are grafted into the tree. And so this one will say, I am the Lord's. And this one will say, I name myself by the name of Jacob. And another will say, I belong to God. Do you see it? Because God is doing the work of grafting people in. And so we get to rejoice and say, I belong to God. I claim the name. Me, yes, a Gentile. I shouldn't even belong to the promises. And yet, through Christ, I have all of these great promises and blessings, they're mine through faith in Christ. This is the great storyline. If you continue on in, a, in Romans, or, uh, is that where we are? In Romans 11, yes, I don't know what it is. In Romans 11, uh, verse 25, and we're gonna, we'll, we'll, yes, we'll end with this. It, it's still four minutes and 55 seconds. I didn't really set a timer. I have no idea, but we're almost done. So it says in verse, uh, what did I say? 25, thank you. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So as regards the gospel, they, ethnic Israel is who he's referencing, are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you at one time were disobedient to God, but now have received mercy... Because of their disobedience, so too you have, they have now become disobedient, that they might have mercy shown to them. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. So God's plan was to have Israel be blind and deaf and disobedient and reject him that the Gentiles might come in and be inheritors of the blessings. And so there remains a partial hardening, not a full hardening, but a partial hardening on ethnic Israel, which is what's being referenced in Romans 11. And there is a hardening on them to not accept the gospel fully until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And as the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, it will make them jealous so as to come unto the gospel. This is God's plan. This is still at work in real time. This is still at work in real time. And then you get into the whole conversations of tongues. But you have to realize that tongues at the time, it says, were a sign to the unbelieving. To show that the promises of the blessings were poured out on the Gentiles, the tongues in the day were used to show unbelieving Israel how unbelieving they are. That's why they were used. Yeah, more on that, isn't there? we got to stop at some point. I'm going to stop right there. Okay? You can tell I am restraining myself. Jim, I'm restraining myself. I'm holding it back. I think we have a lot to go home with. I think we have a lot to take with us and understand that in the whole storyline, guess who gets to rejoice in the blessings that God promised so long ago? We do. We do. The blessings are ours in Christ. Let's pray together.